0: This is a News Laundry podcast, and you're listening to NL Hafta.
1: I'm Grace Apna Lagan, or News Laundry Apna Hafta, Welcome to yet another episode of our so long running audio podcast, News Laundry Hafta. So, we're recording this episode of Hafta on Thursday, the 19th of November at 12:30 in the afternoon. And today, I have two very special guests. But before I introduce my guests, just want to thank all the Subscribers who have chipped in for our NL legal fund for the case that we are fighting with Sakal Times uh, of the Pawar family that are doing their best to intimidate us, including sending us someone to Ramansa, even uh, you know, in a time like this. So, thank you all. Uh, we have topped up almost four lakhs, uh, we just need one more lakh to cover all the expenses. So do keep your contributions coming in because we are powered not by government ads or corporate sector ads, but by your contributions and subscriptions. So thank you so much for that. And I hope you guys have a safe and happy Diwali. And just want to tell everybody I have tested positive for COVID. So we are recording out of home. We will not be recording out of office for the next two weeks. Although I'm fine, there's no symptoms, uh, but I shall not be going to office. So all my recordings for all my podcasts will be out of my house. Uh, at least till my 14-day quarantine is over. On that note, let me introduce the panel uh, from our News Laundry family. We have Raman Kripal. Hi, Raman, sir. Hi. We have Mehraj Lone. Hi, Mehraj. Hello. Manisha is on leave, but joining us on the phone line are two guests. One from our Sadi Delhi. Smita Prakash. Hi, Smita. Hi, how are you? Very well, Smita. Uh, Smita, many of you I'm sure already know who she is. She is the editor of ANI, Asian News International. And she's been in the news industry for over three decades. And she's worked across various TV channels. We'll get to know a little more about her career also during this conversation. And joining me from Switzerland, am I right, Chitra, you're in Switzerland? Yes. Is uh, an old friend and someone who I really uh, learned much from, Chitra Subramanyam Duela. Uh, in fact, uh, even when we had just started News Laundry, she had given us lots of very interesting and useful tips. She is the co-founder uh, of News Minute and the founder of CSD Consulting Switzerland. So, Chitra, CSD Consulting consults in the media space or in the public health space? So I know that's also an area of
2: uh, Both. And expertise. Both. Both. We sit in that little spot, which is uh, public health and media. And and where are you right now? In which I live just outside Geneva at the moment, in, in the house. We, we live outside Geneva, actually. So Chitra is
1: most well known for her investigation on the Bofors that contributed to the electoral defeat of Rajiv Gandhi, the former Prime Minister. She's worked as a diplomat at the World Health Organization and she has assist, assisted CEOs of Fortune 500 companies in India and Europe to gain market access. She's interested in trade, public health and development. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for making the time. And I do hope I have both of you for an hour. Is that okay? Smita? Yeah, that's cool with me. Achitra? Yes, absolutely. It must be early morning in Europe. I hope you can...
2: Oh, not that early. Well, it's 7.30. So, Okay. yeah, and get well soon. I really hope, you know, just rest and get well soon. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine. There's no
1: symptoms. I My mother tested positive, so we all had to get tested. So, that's yeah. how I got down. So, but yeah, I guess I have to do the 14-day thing now. So, um, we also have almost topped up the NL Sena fund for Bihar. It was a five lakh forty thousand spend for a month coverage that we went there. All of you, many of you who contributed, uh, we collected about four lakh fifty-five. We are just under a lakh short. It would be great if you guys can top it up, or this, or you can just subscribe to News Laundry and pay to keep News free. Before we get into the discussions with our two guests and our panel, uh, let's just quickly go over the headlines. Mehraj, could you please do the honours?
3: Yes. So the top headlines are uh, related to the coronavirus pandemic. COVID vaccine from Moderna shows 94.5% efficacy uh, and Pfizer shows 95% in final trials with no safety concerns. So these are the two uh, vaccine candidates which seem to be the most promising at this stage. And the expectation is that more than a billion people could be immunized uh, against coronavirus by the end of next year, with shots from either of these companies or both of them. Uh, And uh, India may start producing Russia's Sputnik V COVID vaccine, uh, Sputnik V it is, sorry, uh, says Putin. India and China may start producing uh, the vaccine uh, uh, sometime uh, this year or early next year. Uh, Putin also proposed the creation of a vaccine research center for BRICS countries, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Hmm. Uh, Another headline related to the pandemic is that uh, Delhi has uh, been seen a kind of a spike in COVID cases of late. But the minister, Satinder Jain, says that the third wave of COVID in Delhi is past, and there are no plans to reimpose lockdown. Uh, Related to Delhi also is the pollution problem, the annual pollution problem. And part of the reason is the farm fires in Haryana and Punjab. And the headline today is that Haryana has had 46% rise in farm fires this year. And as a result, partly as a result, Delhi has seen the worst pollution around Delhi, air pollution in Delhi, uh, around Diwali for four years. Uh, Moving on, 15 Asian countries from the world's biggest trading bloc from which India had walked out last year. This is the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RFCEP. Uh, It's going to be the world's largest free trade bloc. It's backed by China. It includes the ASEAN uh, countries, 10 ASEAN countries, China, South Korea, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, but leaves out India and the United States. BJP gets two deputy CMs as Natish takes oath. Uh, so uh, BJP has removed its deputy chief minister of 15 years, Shil Kumar Modi in Bihar, and included two new ones, uh, Tarikshur Prasad and Renu Devi. Supreme Court issues notice to UP government were Kerala journalists' arrest. This is the journalist named Siddiqui Kapan, who was arrested one and a half months ago in uh, Matra, while he was apparently on his way to Hathras to cover the Alleged rape and murder of a Dalit teenager. There, uh, he has been in jail for since then. Uh, he went to the Supreme Court asking to be released the same, pretty much the same way like Arunabh Goswami was on the grounds of personal liberty. But the Supreme Court asked them to go to the uh, High Court. Amit Shah attacks j and leaders for inviting foreign forces to intervene in Kashmir. The for uh, the j leaders, he used the term. Gupkar Gang, which is a reference to the alliance formed by regional parties there uh, after the abrogation of Article 370 last year. Uh, And the aim of that alliance is to restore Article 370 and statehood to Jammu and Kashmir. Uh, Government to consider strengthening regulations of free press, says Prakash Jaudekar. Uh, He said the government is mulling over strengthening the regulatory mechanism for news media in the country and is also considering a new code of conduct for television. He spoke about the different regulatory systems available for print and television news and the need for such a system for online platforms as well. The freedom of the press is being discussed again today and I said that the way the pre-press is being attacked, that is not good, said the minister if there's no regulatory mechanism for tv create one uh, the supreme court has told this uh, central government then uh, the senior uh, veteran journalist and shillong times editor patricia mukim has resigned from the editors guild of india alleging that the body defends only celebrity journalists so the context is that uh, she has uh, she was she's facing a police complaint for a facebook post that she put out in july And the high court has refused to cause the FIR against her. And he sent the high court's order to the editor's guild saying, she says, to issue a statement in support. But apparently they didn't, which she says is quite different from how they approached the issue of Arnab Goswami's arrest when they were quick to issue a statement. And because she sees this as hypocritical, so she has walked away. Uh, Central government was in the Supreme Court, again, in connection with the the media coverage of the Tablighi Jamaat congregation, uh, which happened just as the coronavirus pandemic was starting in India. And the allegation is that the media communalized the Tablighi Jamaat incident, but the center says they didn't. And uh, funnily, they used two uh, news laundry stories to sort of make their point which say the exact opposite of what the central
1: government is saying they say. But they're also showing our reports to show that coverage is fair and not not communal. Yes, but our reports show that it wasn't fair. But otherwise, we don't <laughs> get this kind of... The good thing is, at least the government is using our reports for something. Yeah. And uh, Sudarshan TV's infamous
3: UPSC Jihad show is offensive, likely to promote communal attitudes. Center has uh, said in an affidavit to uh, the Supreme Court. But at the same time, they have allowed the telecast of the remaining episodes of the show contingent on, on some modifications. Ashok galoth hits out at Kapil Sibbal, Congress again in a war of words, uh, Kapil Sibbal had criticized the Congress party after its push showing in the Bihar assembly elections. And in response, Ashok Gehaloth has taken him to task. CBI arrests UP government engineer for alleged sexual abuse of children. So this uh, government servant is an engineer in the irrigation department, Uh, not an engineer, junior staffer in the irrigation department, Uh, but it's not clear. uh, Exactly. If he's an engineer, he's just a stuffer. And the allegation is that he has abused around 50 children in a 10-year period. Whoa. Also from UP, two Dalit sisters have been killed and their bodies dumped in a pond in Fatehpur district. The girls were aged 8 years and 12 years old. And the veteran actor, Sumitra Chatterjee, dies. He was 85 years old. Right, And he is most known, as most people will know, for his roles as Apu and Faluda in the Sityajitre films.
1: Yeah, the I saw there were lots of pieces written on him on, on his passing. But uh, thank you for that, uh, Mehraj. Uh, now, Chitra, if I could just start with you, let's start with the public health aspect, then we'll come to the whole journalism bit as well. Uh, I had two specific questions and then I know you will have lots of valuable you know information to give to our listeners. Um, and we have a lot of public health prof- professions who actually log into our podcast. A, since this Putnik was tested or announced positive so long ago, how come it is not getting that kind of how in the market or even in the media? And how optimistic are you about all these spate of little positive stories that the media has been uh, you know, coming up with on this coronavirus vaccine?
2: So, you know, um, uh, among the areas, I focus a lot on is trade. And, um, you know, I've been writing uh, the whole of this year about how China has weaponized public health. And you can see see the broad background of what's going to happen now with, with the vaccines. But I'll just immediately answer your question, why we've not seen such a lot of uh, hype in the media about the Russian, uh, Russian uh, vaccine. There's even been a Chinese one, which they're running some tests in the UAE. I think it's going to be, uh, uh, like you know, Pfizer and uh, Moderna are in the Western world. There's that element to that. You see, we don't want to be uh, beaten by a Russian or by a Chinese. So there is quite an, a, an element of that. Uh, and the media, uh, and you see most of the Western media, and by that, I mean just uh, you know, London and New York, because in India, we tend not to read the European continent because simply we don't speak the languages. We are you know, driven by all of that. But, uh, and also there is this uh, view that uh, Russia is sort of substandard. That is a, you know, that's an American view. Uh, And all that plays out in the newsroom. But there are many candidates, there are many, many candidates, of course the most promising ones, which are now saying 94% to 95%. So uh, that probably explains why the hype um, around these two are there. Um, Also because they're listed in the stock exchange. And you've seen how, you know, uh, the Moderna people, they cashed in a day before. uh, And then, you know, uh, and you can always say, yes, why not, it's our money. The problem problem is that you see, they're making in in some kind of a, um, it's becoming, they're trading in vaccines, you see. It's become a, a, there's a COVAX exchange here in Geneva, which is WHO and Gavi and a few other organizations driven so you're trading in vaccine, vaccines and uh, at some point these and these are all listed companies. So that is the element that we have to be careful about.
1: If I could just ask this, um, you know, Europe, I remember there were some noises that they, were, they had made earlier that um, uh, at least Merkel and Macron, that uh, we will not, you know, rich countries should not corner the vaccine. The European Commission, while Trump was saying we'll pre-book 100 million vials or 200 million vials, you know, the noises coming from Europe was that even the poorer countries should get it, and we rich countries can't corner it. Was that just lip service, or it's going to be cornered by the rich?
2: Well, you know, in the case of Trump, I mean, no longer. Well, whatever Trump, he uh, he he basically said no us first, yeah. and the rest can go. Now Europe has, you know, they said no, no developing countries, this and that. But if you look at what they are doing, actually they are first ensuring that their own people get the vaccines. Let's, you know, each one is making bilateral deals with, with either, either Pfizer or, I mean, the European Union has already cut five deals, bilateral deals. So each one is taking care of their own population, like 200 million here, 300 million there. So at the end of the day, the capacity to produce these vaccines is not enormous for, you know. So yes, there are, uh, uh, and I wouldn't go so far as to say lip service, but I think it's, you know, after everything is served for their people, what is left over is what's going to be given out. But I have a, I have another view on this. If I can share, okay. I have a feeling, and I mean, not it's more than a feeling. I have a sense that uh, that China uh, is going to emerge as some kind of a people's vaccine. And you know, I know I'm saying this live on a very important podcast, but China hasn't said its last word yet. And uh, it started testing already to two, one and a half months ago. I think it's in UAE. And uh, you know, if they are going to come out with something like a and she has made these statements about uh, one-dollar vaccines or two-dollar vaccines, something like that. So we don't know. You know, if they come up with a vaccine that's universally uh, affordable, and also the price point is right. I don't see why uh, any country will not take it. I mean, you wouldn't suspect the Russian
1: vaccine or the Chinese vaccine uh, and, you know, not suspect the ones of, you know, Pfizer and Moderna. I mean, you, you think as far as efficacy is concerned, you will give all of them as much respect or, or, or you know, cynicism as the other? Or are you more suspicious of the Chinese or the Russian vaccine?
2: I don't have that uh, that suspicion because I know of many cases in in Europe and America where things have gone very wrong. So uh, at the baseline for me would be to listen to scientists and they don't necessarily have to come from, uh, from Washington or New York. I mean, I would look at, uh, uh, and let's look at, just take a step back. A lot of the stuff which was coming in and maybe not vaccine, but a lot of the stuff coming into Europe before the pandemic was made in China. I mean, people didn't even realize how much how dependent they had been on the Chinese production. So, um, off just off the bat, I wouldn't be suspicious because I don't right. think we can afford to. Nobody can afford it. Mitha, what is your view on the you know the
1: vaccines? And I saw a poll that uh, CNN was showing. I think there's a very large... Uh, no, sorry, BBC. I think they polled people between the age of 19 and 35. And about some 60-some percent said that we will not get in the first year because they are suspicious of it. And I must say that people in my family, uh, you know, who say that I'm not first, let's see how the world reacts to it. And people like Fauci are saying that if everybody has this attitude, then, you know, it's not going to be effective because for herd immunity, at least 60-70% should get vaccinated. So, Smita, what is your personal take? Will you use the vaccine and do you approach all of them with the same
0: open-mindedness or, or not? Well, uh, you know, I mean, then I think... Uh... That's the only thing that will work, the vaccine, because, uh, uh, like you said, uh, you know, families are like, hum to nahi karenge, hum karenge." I'm like, I'll be the first to stand in line to get a vaccine. I want this done and over with. And I have more faith in scientists, maybe misplaced. We'll get to know about that when it happens. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if you see the state that we are in, in Delhi, I mean, you are COVID positive. My mother is in hospital uh, with COVID. There's a kind of a fatigue that has come in, that has set in. Even if you tell your family, don't go out, they're not listening to you. You know, I think especially the older uh, family members. There's that, uh, you know, eight months, They they did what had to be done, which is stay in, wear their mask, not mm. interact with family, not go out for... Weddings and for their whatever uh, you know that the older citizens do they did they didn't do that. um Some of us could get to work because you know we we work in the media, but it is kind of frustrating for people sitting at home. And uh, now they're just not going. To, it's like a Bhagwan Havale, Whatever you know, if it has to happen, it has to happen. That's what it happened in my family. They just they just were done with it, uh, sitting at home. And uh, sure enough, you know the numbers that you're seeing rise. It happened in October. Yeah. Uh, it despite everybody saying, don't go out, people got out. And uh, you know now we have these soaring numbers out of control. Oh. And uh, what we are being told is that there are five vaccines uh, which are on clinical trials in India, mm. uh, which is uh, the Oxford, the Bharat Biotech, and the Sputnik, as was mentioned. Mm. There's also the Moderna, which I believe is not suitable for India because of the cold chain requirements. Well, yeah. fingers crossed. Uh, Chitra says that what we are going to get is what is the leftover after all these countries who are producing it. Um, they are done with giving it to their population and then we get the leftover, which is such a... We'll stay in that third world rut, you know, where we get all the leftover plastics and the leftover vaccines. Uh, so uh, I just hope we can buy them and at least for the frontline workers. Give it to the health li- uh, healthcare workers, the senior citizens, the vulnerable groups first, and uh, then the others. But
1: I, I guess since we are one of the pharma-producing hubs of the world, we should have some leverage, I'm guessing. but uh, if I'm not wrong, moderna is the one that requires, whatever, f- four to 10 degrees. It is Pfizer that requires minus 80 degrees. Am I right, Chitra?:
2: Yes, yes. Uh, it okay. has a, a longer shelf life uh, than the Pfizer. Uh, but even so, uh, even so, you need something like electricity to keep this all going, right? And the entire distribution, uh, distribution, storage, you know, it'll have to be looked at very, very carefully. And uh, that's one problem. And then to just to uh, close that thing with Smita, I mean, I didn't mean that we'll get the, we'll get the last of everything. I simply think that we should be out there, uh, not just like a, you know, production house where we use our capacity to produce for the world. We'll simply have to leverage what we have for our people because for me it's now becoming a mugs game you know and uh, access has become a mugs game it sh- we shouldn't even be discussing this you know and india has moved the india and south africa they've moved uh, the wto ask saying that there should be no uh, patent and you know again it's a war so you know for me what has been most uh, what has been most uh, difficult to accept is that even during a pandemic Countries are not uh, able to share. And you, you know, there's a fight going on at
0: the WTO about this. So that is worrying. Yeah, if, I may, if I may just uh, interrupt you. I mean, yeah. look at the logistics of it. I mean, 30 crore is what we want. So, you know, the procurement, the distribution logistics of these vaccines. So, uh, while we expect, you know, everybody in the world to cooperate with us, as soon as we give this uh, requirement of 30 crores, who's going to Who's going to willingly uh,
1: cooperate with us? Yeah, it's too bigger. Uh, it's like inviting
0: Kamkumkaran
1: to a feast. You know, can <laughs> eat up your entire kitchen. Uh, so uh, I would like to move on to uh, you know the Supreme Court. You know, related uh, some of the journalism issues since we do have two uh, you know eminent journalists with us. But before that, Ramansar and Mehraj, would you guys take the vaccine? Be honest. Of course, why
3: not? But I mean, uh, like uh, I think uh, Chitra also said. One problem, because of the logistics, even if the vaccine comes like soon, it's not going to be a magic bullet for the pandemic. It's not like the vaccine comes today and the pandemic is over the in the next two months. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a slow walk out of the pandemic. But one, I think one advantage which you also pointed out, which there is for India is it's pretty much the pharmacy of the world. So once it acquires the vaccine, because it has that capacity to produce, like mass produce it, that should help it. But I mean, it's it remains to be seen whether that infrastructure is leveraged. There has to be that will to leverage that infrastructure. That remains to be seen. But, I mean, the prospect is there. If you acquire that vaccine, you have the everything in place to just mass produce it and administer it. But, yeah, logistics remain a challenge, obviously. And about the what you asked, uh, Chitra, to begin with, I completely agree. The problem with this whole thing about being suspicious about Chinese products and Russian project, products is... Mostly, not even partly, mostly because unfortunately, like the narratives, the top narratives in India and in much of the West is created by the Western media, the American and British media and elsewhere. And they have spent the last four years basically building up uh, Russia as this great evil who has come again to deprive them of their freedom and everything, the whole Russia gate thing. So, I mean, yes. this plays into that also. And obviously, I mean, there's the profit motive, like Chitra said. I mean, no, so, where you have
4: to make money, You <laughs> there's nothing else you can I've just got out of COVID, so I'll definitely mm-hmm. go for the injection. But I think there are uh, problems like even Pfizer kind of, uh, you know, injection. I think they are not going to be uh, successful in our country. Uh, it's not just the, the cold storage. Uh, I was, I think, looking, I was watching CNN. Uh, or or BBC where they said that the one vial has got nine twenty six doses, and mm. all those nine twenty six doses you have to use it one go. Yes. Uh, so 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 I think uh, we have to have our own uh, indigenous, uh, you know, injection, and I'm I'm quite hopeful. I was I think uh, we are going to come up with something by January. Hello, I hope by January. But, oh, okay. Uh, Chitra, I mean... Adar Poonawala said that, yeah. I saw
1: that interview as well. He is quite confident that he says, he says, of course, it's up to the home ministry of how it's distributed. But he's saying by January, he can have it ready in India. What, what, is, what, are you, what is your view on that?
2: Oh, I mean, you know, he's, obviously he knows, he knows he's somebody I listen to. Um, but I, I, you know, I still join Smita in this, the whole logistics of it. Uh, not to say we will not be able to do it. But what we do need is discipline. You know, I mean, I can just, uh, you know, like she was saying, people are just fed up of staying at home. And uh, so are we all over the world. But for example, here, I think the response to the pandemic has to be community driven. It mm-hmm. cannot be, you know, uh, each of us is a risk to the other person. Whether yeah. you're wearing a mask or not, that has to, that thing has to be really, really told to all of us and we have to follow the rules so the response to the pandemic even before the 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 magic portion as the as the vaccine is now being called uh, we will have to you know people say there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel but we have to go through the tunnel first so it's,
0: it's, uh, i'm just so hoping chitra that it's not China that comes out with the vaccine. I know it's not fair. It's not right to get emotional. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I remember I was the first one, <laughs> the
2: first, army one, army. first one to call them out among the first one. Speaking of which, uh, yesterday marks the first time that you know we uh, had we heard about the something happening in the Wuhan wet markets. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and then followed all this. No, no. Yes, yes. No, no. Yes, yes you know, they went through the Thanksgiving, nahi, nahi, don't say no, Thanksgiving is hai. then mm-hmm. Christmas is hai. then the Chinese New Year is hai. then Davos, and at the end of, of it, the whole world was infected. So, yeah, you know, it
1: was, it was a terrible, was, a
2: terrible, when terrible it, story.
1: When it started, we were still planning our lives to get back to normal by October, and now here we are in November, and it's nowhere close. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But if the Chinese do come up with, say, a very cheap
3: vaccine, I mean, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Your no, absolutely not. I I own. will
0: forget about it, just like I would. Wear cops, <laughs> I will wear. It, I will use the vaccine. Anything. But it's just that I don't want to. If given a choice, currently, even the cheap Chinese plastic everybody uses, even if you uh, you know morally ethically don't want to use it.
3: Yeah. This is this is one another thing. This pandemic has like laid bare. I mean, there's no alternative to having your own indigenous capacity in manufacturing and research and development. All that great talk talk we have had over the last 40 years about it's going to be the world is one village and everybody will come to everybody's aid. It's turned out that's not the case. You have to rely on your own.
1: I mean, yes and no. I think there are also instances that one sees where, you know, countries do step up. But I mean, I guess one yo-yo's from instance to instance. I think there's a bit of all of it in the world, but I just like to move on to, um, you know, on, on journalism, a whole bunch of stuff happened. There were some policy prescriptions on regulation. There was a notification that digital media will come under the IMB ministry. It has led to a certain amount of pushback from organizations. Um, Digipub, the organization that, uh, you know, even the part of has also weighed in on this. Meanwhile, in the courts, there was this whole thing of, um, you know, how will you regulate, although there is a regulatory mechanism, um, the Sudarshan TV case has kind of laid bare certain selectivity in following it. And and of course the cases of bail. So, you know, there are just so many things. I would just let Smita and Chitra just tell me generally what they think of the whole space. What, What have they observed and seen in the last month with Arnab's case, with the other cases in UP, and on the regulatory mechanism around the FDI, because I know I have a view on that. But Smita, why don't you go first? What what do you think are the takeaways for the news community when it comes to justice, when it comes to law, and when it comes to, uh, you know, just the right to do your job?
0: Yeah, a lot has been happening in our field. Very distressing at times, disconcerting. It's been hard times to get to work, to report in these times. And uh, being a news agency, you know, we at ANI i cannot just sit uh, in our uh, at, from work from our homes. We have to get there and get the videos, get the pictures, supply it to all the channels. Uh, so uh, we haven't been able to work from home, actually. Uh, so it's been a hard time during COVID times because of the uh, you know, advertisers literally going black channels, uh, TV channels are uh, hard up for money. They've had to fire people. So media is under stress anyway. And then, uh, you know, comes the editorial angle where... uh, TV channels uh, have be, have come under fire for the way they handled a number of stories, uh, the Sushant Singh Rajput story or the Tablighi story. That's landed up in court. It's landed up in the top court. And uh, Justice Bobri had said that you know the government has been silent and it's time to regulate and there's no regulatory mechanism, uh, and the one that is there, which is the NBSA, the News broadcaster Standard Authority, uh, that's like he's I think. The word he used was not toothless, but I think it generally said that, that, uh, you know, uh, it, it it was not enough. Uh, and what was fascinating was that the center defended the media. Hmm. And uh, when they defended the media, they used, uh, as you said, the news laundry story and a couple of other uh, Express, websites. Print, Times of India, Wire. Print, I think, and Wire.
1: Correct. The print, Express, T-Y, Wire, News Laundry. Yeah.
0: Right. And a uh, number of people on uh, on social media were very upset because uh, the right-wing side thought that the government doesn't like, the BJP government doesn't like these websites. And how can they quote these websites as being fair reporting when they are hammer and tongs against these websites? The left-wing media surprised that, are they trying to co-opt these sites? So there was utter confusion and I loved watching that. I love it when there is this kind of confusion on both sides of uh the media but anyway the point is that uh i don't uh, i personally uh, get very uh, scared when i hear governments or when i hear state center government when i hear the judiciary or when i hear civil society talking about more regulations and more regulatory authorities setting up one on top of the other to try and curb uh, our freedoms you know journalism in india i mean we are more free than many other developing countries Many democracies which say that they are free, we are free, yes. But then it is hard even to retain those freedoms, to work. And I mean, there are several instances. We in sitting in cities have it much better. But, you know, in smaller towns, in the Northeast, in the Naxal Belt, doing journalism is so
1: hard. Uh, Absolutely. Smaller towns is a, I mean, and we've had cases when, you know, the last media rumble, guys who've been like hacked and, you know, he had yeah. cars because he did a you know story on some sand mining. There was one who was just uh, tied up and whipped. Uh, where was that? We did a piece on that as well. Uh, he was he was whipped for doing a story tied up to a pole in public. Terrible journalist. But uh, you think it's become easier for governments to manipulate the media because it's so divided? Because I mean, look at America. Look at you know our case. Hmm. You know the thing is that like, for example, I think what happened, to Arnab was clearly. Overreach of law. I don't think anyone who believes in the fair, uh, you know, use of law can say that yes, he should have been locked up and not been given uh, bail. And we've done a very detailed report on that. You know, the unfortunate gentleman who died, and you know, God, you know, have mercy on his soul. Uh, but he was under debt across various operations, uh, and abetment is notoriously difficult to prove. Mm -hmm. But because our media is so divided, at other times, you know, I, I know many journalists who otherwise are nice, reasonable people, but they were happy that he should not be given bail or that's what they were hoping. I have seen Arnab celebrate people being locked up for frivolous charges and him shouting, I don't care about the law, who gives a damn about legal processes, except when it happens to him. Has this, you think this would have taught him a lesson or others a lesson? Or you think people are beyond learning lessons?
0: Yeah, you know, I think uh, celebrity journalists are beyond learning lessons. Uh, I think that uh, there comes a time where uh, I don't think these things affect them, that Usko hua mujhe bhi ho sakta hai. that doesn't happen. Uh, I think what happened was that uh, with Arnab's case, it came into light. You know, The whole thing came into limelight because he's such a big name. Uh, and he evokes extreme sentiments, whether it is positive or negative. And he takes on uh, he takes on his opponents. They, they and without uh, you know without caring uh, about uh, you know propriety, without being politically correct, He's, he just takes them on. And uh, a lot of what was written about him, uh, Abinandan, is because also it gets hits. People watch when whether you praise him or whether you criticize him, uh, the website gets hits. Your uh, tweets get hits. So there are a lot of people who comment on, uh, uh, on Arnab for various reasons. As far as this uh, bail is concerned, there are journalists across the country who are facing these kind of issues. There's Amish also, who has six or seven. And there's Patricia, she, as you pointed out. You know, there are several who are facing these kind of uh, things. And when state governments, central governments, they come cracking down. And now the judiciary says there should be more regulation. So, you know, freedom of speech. I mean, Justice Bobri actually said freedom of speech is one of the most abused freedoms in recent times. We need those freedoms.
1: Yeah, I I do think the court's observations at various times are rather retrograde, but Chitra, if I may come to you and if you could weigh in on the combination of all these things, but I will say this, uh, which is why I think the, the, the model must change. And I am thrilled and proud to say that we depend entirely on subscribers and which is why this whole click-baity model of journalism is only going to, you know, bring it into more disrepute uh, because people, and I have the data to prove it, I have, you know, subscribers from the last seven years to show that, you know, people will click on your website for opinion pieces and general yarn payloading, but they won't pay you for that. That only, that, so the the ad-funded model, I think, is collapsing the world over, which is, I think, a good thing. I think that will improve journalism, but, you know, Chitra coming to the whole polarized nature of it and you know, Smita seems to think that celebrity journalists don't don't learn their lessons, and everybody will continue to be partisan on this issue. You think uh, that is true, or you think people will change as they see more and more people suffering because they cheered the other on?
2: I I, I agree with Smita. I in fact I wholeheartedly agree with her. I think that when when uh, when you come to a point where uh, journalists and begins to say Aham journalism must me, you know uh, that it's me of journalism. I mean, when it comes, when it becomes, you know, when the journalist becomes the story, journalism is dead. And, uh, and there are two ways I look at this. One, you need, uh, you know, you need freedom to report. You said like in small, you know, people who in small towns and uh, as Mita was saying, it's difficult, it's extremely difficult to bring stories, but you also need a freedom within newsrooms. You say it has to go both ways. Yeah. You can't say everybody in, in, in uh, you know, in my organization must also follow my my view. Point number two, you know, journalists, we have a lot of access. Let's, I mean, okay, with your press card, you can pretty much get everywhere. You know, you can go to the parliament, you can go here, you can go to, you know, I'm not saying we are special people, but we do have privileges. Yes. And I find yes. that we are abusing some of those privileges. Because on the one hand, you get some kind of a, of a... Uh, go ahead to report and we have to be responsible. And I think we we are not being responsible. Somehow there has been a slippage, you know, uh, uh, on that. Like we can do whatever we we want. So third point, I don't think that uh, we are worse off than anybody else in the world. In fact, I think our media is among the freest in the world, uh, perhaps a bit too free. Uh, but, um, you know, what does that mean to be too free? Uh, and again, the very fact that we have this debate in the country, it's an extremely volatile debate. And, you know, I wouldn't use the word pol- uh, polarized. Perhaps it is polarized. But, you know, I think that historically, uh, historically, I think that, it, you know, we f- I feel that the India's clutches or the gearbox of Indian uh, public opinion is uh, is freedom of of expression. And I think all extremes will will finally be left aside and we will pick something, which is why uh, I think small sites and, you know, they are now, how are we working? Small sites are networking with each other, sharing stories, you know, sharing resources, sharing data, which didn't happen two years ago. So maybe we have been forced by circumstances and I have a lot of faith in this young group of journalists. I mean, I I feel like a dinosaur, but I know uh, how hard the young journalists work. And imagine during the pandemic, they got out, like Smitha was saying, they went out, they did the stories at great risk to themselves. And that is where the hope is coming from. Uh, Talking about regulation, I just was reading about that, uh, the new new discussion about social media. You know, uh, uh, we do need something to be registered. You know, we're not registered now. In other words, you know, we need to figure out how to be registered. But if that becomes some kind of a tool to uh, monitor us, then uh, I have enough faith in the Indian media that we will hit back. So I have great faith in the Indian media.
1: Yeah. So I hear you. I see where you're coming from. I mean, I have a lot of faith in, uh, you know, young journalists and where this can go. But I do think, like you said, you know the media is to an extent blame uh, because we have become irresponsible. I think also we have to a great extent allowed ourselves to become tools to politicians. Yeah. And when that happens, and it's not a new development, but with technology that should have become less rather than more. I mean it is always going to be to some extent, and that is being played out in a very ugly manner in the U.S. And you know I consume Fox. CNN, ABC, Breitbart, MSNBC and I, I mean, I can just see how they are allowing themselves to be used, you know, by political party. And when you become a political player, then you kind of lose, you know, the privileges of journalism that you should ordinarily exactly.
2: gain. Exactly. You know, you need to respect, you need to respect the kind of respect people, uh, you want others to respect you. You have to start by giving that respect, you know. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah,
1: um, if uh, Raman say, if you could come in, you've been a, a hardcore reporter, reporter throughout your life, uh, and you've done some pretty kick ass stories. Uh, do you think this episode with, you know, both political spectrum journalists from political different sides of political spectrum, getting the rough end of the stick from different governments will make people realize that we're all in this together? Or you think, no, that ain't happening?
4: I think uh, I have never seen the media so divided on ideological grounds, Uh, you know, I mean, in our times, uh, it was not so much, say, if I was working with the Indian Express, at the most, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, I mean, Chitra was, I think was also there. Uh, so, So we basically the anti, I mean, whoever is in the government. So we are just doing the anti-government stories, but we were not ideologically driven, you know, at at any point of time. But right now we have that, uh, you know, the Fox and CNN kind of situation in uh, India as well. So first of all, I see that the media is, uh, you know, uh, extremely divided. Uh, Secondly, uh, on the uh, regulation part, uh, I feel that we are really, outdated now, outdated system of regulation, even the self-regulation. This, uh, the media has developed hell of a lot. Uh, uh, so so the, the press council and, uh, you know, uh, the broadcast uh, network, that kind of system is not going to work. I think we need to have one body for all kinds of medias, print, uh, you know, TV as well as uh, the digital. And uh, we have to have some kind of ombudsman, uh, you know, kind of structure uh, who would be, uh, you know, able to uh, address uh, this issue.
1: And they have these separate entities for each is not a good idea going forward. It is, not, know, it is yeah. not for 2020.
4: And, then, and, and on the top of it, also, uh, you know, the situation becomes aggravated when uh, the Supreme Court, uh, you know, is very happy to, uh, you know, handle Arnab's case. But when the next journalist case comes, they say they want to discourage, you know, applications coming under Article 32. Yeah. So, so the division is so wide. I mean, uh, within the media community and outside the media community, uh, the line has really blurred. Uh, but I am still hopeful the solution will definitely come. Uh, but, but I think uh, a lot to be done, you know, on this front.
1: Maharaj, what, what is your view?
3: Just uh, one point I'd like to make is that the government, the judiciary is coming in asking for more regulation, is also because self-regulation has pretty much failed in the media. I mean, the NBSA, the Press Council, they've been reduced to making statements. There are no no more regulators. I mean, they're just just bodies there who issue statements. They haven't done any regulation. If they were strong regulators, if they had the done the job they were envisioned to do, maybe government would have found it. little more difficult to ask the media to regulate, or the public would have asked or the petitioners going to the Supreme Court would have asked to because they haven't done that. Now the government has a chance to do regulation. And when regulation comes to government, it's never going to be good for the media Hmm. anywhere.
1: Right. Uh, But on this whole thing of learning one's lessons, are you as cynical as the rest? I mean, lessons, I mean,
3: see, I, I don't agree that media has was this great institution and it suddenly went and drowned. Media in this country especially has always been aligned with the dominant state narrative. I don't mean to a particular political party, but to a dominant state narrative. You can see it in the coverage from 47 of how, like say, the, for example, the issues of, of the lower caste, the Dalits, the Muslims, how Kashmir, Naxal insurgency, these things have been sort of covered just do a qualitative analysis of news reports and you will get an idea but what has happened in the last five six years is because the bjp has taken the ideological discourse so far right and so quickly that a lot of media has sort of failed to keep up and the demands they have created ideological demands they have created that that aren't easy to meet for the media when it was more towards the center, it was easy for the media to follow the dominant state narrative. Now that's not the case, it's not the consensus, it's not the elite consensus. So that's where this division has become too broad. Otherwise, it was never the case that media was, I mean, yeah, there were great journalists who exposed, I mean, Chitra is here, she did a absolutely fantastic job with Bofos, others have done great reporting, but as an institution, the media has always been aligned with the state in this country, the state narrative, if not the state. So this is going to go on for as long as it's, I mean, the media is here, as long as the situation prevails. Would you agree, Smita?
0: Well, uh, I agree and disagree on many points. Uh, One, you know, uh, this uh, thing that we were different in those days and we are different now. Yes, of course, because the media itself has changed. You had, what, 100, 150 newspapers and you had one Doordarshan. That was it, right? And you had All India Radio, doordarshan and All India Radio state-owned. Now that all changed come the '90s, and liberalization. So you cannot expect that you know everybody is going to be, uh, follow the same path, that elitism that was that jo bhi Sarkar Sarkarme Aiga, we are going to report against it. That kind of an attitude or that kind of a news sense has changed. There, is, there are many sites which are looking at news, not just as we take on the government on policy. There, is, there are many other stories to do. There's content, as they're saying. Now it's no longer just reporting, it's content creation. So yes. Now, are we, uh, is the media very divided, very polarized? There was a lot of talk about polarization has been there that, you know, oh, since 2014, the media has got so polarized. Society has got polarized. We are all a product of that. I mean, even in your family, when you sit and watch television, uh, you'll have your parents who want to watch uh, one channel and you want to watch the other channel. Many, in many homes, it's just one television channel. And then the debates that come on at 9pm, literally screaming matches happen in the family. Why? Because there's that ideological divide. So there are many officers I know, government officers, who say that when you know they, they take certain decisions... Uh, in the INB ministry, when they take certain decisions, when they talk about it at workplace, when they go back home, they're talking about a different kind of a scenario completely. So everybody gets impacted with this. Uh, so I really don't think that what we are experiencing right now is just in media. I think it's across the board in society, what we are seeing, and that's getting reflected in media, it's getting reflected in content. As far as uh, you know, the, the regulatory mechanisms are concerned. I did say that I do fear if there are layers and layers and yes, the, the, the existing regulatory mechanisms are not doing their job. Like you said, I mean, Patricia's whole thing about, you know, statement not coming out. These these organizations, all they do is bring out statements. But at the same time, I'm really worried, you know, if if there is censorship of any kind that comes in, live TV dies. Because that means that every bulletin will first have to be seen by somebody, maybe your editor, things like firewalls coming in place, who's going to watch that content first to see whether it is fit for broadcast. And then look at the entire web network, all your social media sites, which are now, you just put out content on YouTube, you just put out content on anywhere. All that will come under some kind of a regulation. I mean, the the magnitude of this Regulatory mechanism, if it comes into place, when it comes into place, is quite frightening to me. So, I mean, I completely agree with that.
1: A couple of things that, you know, and since we also started this DigiPub outfit, this is something that sometimes is, uh, I mean, I completely, I really am fond of Patricia. She's been on Haftash, she's been at Media Rumble, and I really like her. And I completely get what she's saying and where she's coming from. And I think it's uh, rather disgraceful that the council didn't issue a statement in her favor. But just having, you know, been a part of running outfits that are, you know, basically loose collections of people, uh, you know, uh, I find that unless there is a full-time commitment, a full-time secretariat or office, whether it's an alumni association, whether it's a, you know, loose conglomerate of, you know, players, it is it is never going to work, which is why I've always of the view, and even at DigiPub, I'm, you know, trying to tell everybody that, One has to create a corpus where you can hire a full-time office because, you know, when people are doing their, going about their regular daily jobs, no one takes this very seriously. Something as simple as drafting out a statement takes time, effort, energy, and consensus. And one has to be able to give that responsibility to someone that you give it and we'll go with you. What happens in a lot of journalism organizations is that journalists, as it is, are very outspoken. Everyone has an opinion, which is good. I think they should be. They're smart. But they find it hard to give, if you've elected these three people to take a decision, now we'll go with their decision. And in the annual meeting, we'll set them, you were good or bad, but every decision cannot be a referendum. And I think a lot of organizations, I'm not saying that's the case in the press council, but generally I think when it makes an organization, a lot of organizations fail because they don't give it the respect that, or the acknowledgement, this is the time, energy, resources that we needed. So let's create a corpus, people should pay, contribute and have a full-time running office secretariat whose job is to do nothing but make sure that we follow these norms. Or, or Do you think that is also the case, Chitra? Uh, or is it is it only that people are partisan? Or is it just practically running a thing is a time-consuming uh, effort that no one really is acknowledging?
2: Well, I think that, uh, I mean, and all of these are not mutually exclusive. Hmm. You know, you can have... I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I'm not cynical about journalism. I genuinely think a pushback is happening and I can see it. That is true for that, that comment. Uh, I do think that you need a separate office, a separate body, full-time job to deal with this in a serious way because we are looking at something very serious. Uh, no,
1: you can't do it like that. No,
2: it's not a side job or a part-time thing because, you know, you, know, you have to be committed to this. And, you know, as someone, you know, that you've started, uh, as you work, say, whether it's news laundry or other organizations, it's a full-time job. And it's a full-time job to make sure, on the one hand, that laws are being followed. And, you know, you need to build a corpus of knowledge as to why things are happening. Why are they not happening? It's too easy to say, oh, this is BJP, that's Congress. That's not the story. The story is, how are we defending ourselves? You know, and you need to build that credibility internally. And you need people who, you know, who, who are, I mean, the other point I wanted to make was, it seems to me that two things, one, that anybody who has an internet connection now thinks that he or she is a journalist. It doesn't work like that. You know, there are certain rules and regulations to being a to, to being a journalist. And you really have to, you know, there are certain, I think what is shocking me more than anything else, and I really want to say this, is the... And I'm using a strong word. I, the, the absence of decency. You know, you and I may disagree on, you know, on certain very basic issues, but we need to work in a space that is decent. We, you know, we have to. Our intentions have to be to reach a a, a consensus. May not be I agree with you uh, or not. What is our job, uh, And It is to be able to uh, inform the audience. In and a have this
0: long discourse.
1: Absolutely, you're right.
2: You know, and to have a discourse that doesn't, you know, Smitha was saying that things are a uh, divisive. It's all over the world. It's it's literally everyone is living on edge. And where are we all going? You know, we're not going anywhere. Or if we are going, we're going together.
0: I totally agree. You know, this this is not just restricted to India. I saw this happening even during, you know, I was covering the Obama election the first term. And I couldn't believe it, that that sleepiness that, you know, when everything comes so easily to middle class America, that was all changing. And uh, I, you know, I think it happened uh, more so after 9-11. But uh, during the Obama election, it happened then. And uh, I saw that kind of uh, divisiveness that uh, that I never thought America would go, go through that and then subsequently, as Chitra pointed out, you know, it's, it's happening everywhere in the world. That uh, that, that elite uh, comfort factor is gone of, you know, oh, this is how the world was. Now it's, there's so much of disruption in every aspect, whether, it is, uh, whether it's day to day, whether it is your ideology, whether it is your workspace. I mean, look at, look at what COVID did that took away our workspace from us, literally. So there's a lot of disruption in society which is happening. And if you don't move with it and realize that this is this is the way life is and we have to accept it and, uh, you know, change with it, resisting this disruption is not an option anymore. Absolutely.
2: If I may just make one point, you know, I was uh, uh, talking to uh, Prema Shri Devi who is going to launch her, uh, you know, she's launching her own uh, network shortly. And we were discussing some of this and it came to... Uh, you know, this is where I think experience, you know, experience is not a, not a liability. It's an asset. And I think that people who have some experience in journalism have really got to come in. Because the other thing I found out was that people need mentoring. You know, there has to be a period of mentoring. And somewhere, I think that journalism has got, I think it's television. And, you know, I'm, I mean, television has destroyed journalism to a large extent. Because all that you need to do is to just sort of, you know, there's that entertainment quotient to it, uh, which is not to say that all television journalism is bad. But the discipline you need uh, to work on a story, it takes time, you know, to just do a good story. Somehow, that's the one, you know, we need to pull back towards certain basic principles. And you are not coming to work every morning because you want to attack someone. You see, you want to tell a good story. story, absolutely. That has to happen.
1: Two or three things that, you know, uh, you mentioned, Chitra, you know, you and I have discussed several times over several things over several years. Uh, but, you know, we can still continue to be friends and do that. I think that is going. But the economic incentive around, you know, a circus, and you've said this often, it used to be one of your takia kalams, follow the money. We no? used to say follow the money. <laughs> The money. <laughs> follow the money. So you just follow the money if the incentive around a circus is more than i mean it's not a good or bad thing a, a person a business person will do that just because that is how like you remain sustainable but uh, you know the, the, the this whole polarization thing i saw uh, one panelist was talking about this uh, american book called cast it's uh, the origins of our discontent by isabel wilkerson has anyone here read it no, I haven't. No. The kind of thing that maybe Mehraj would recommend at some point. Mehraj, are you familiar with the book? Uh, no, not yet, but I'll definitely check it out. This now. American author, and I'll just uh, quote this piece, uh, you know, which is a kind of a review on it. Uh, Wilkerson's central thesis that cast while a global occurrence achieves its most violent manifestation, the treatment of American blacks, set at the lowest level in society through historical and contemporary oppression, marginalization and violence, all legally maintained through a systems of law and order. The English in North America developed the most rigid and exclusionist form, form of race ideology, Wilkerson writes, quoting the anthropologist Audrey and Brian Smedley. Wilkerson's established a correlation between American blacks who shame names as America's untouchables and the Indian untouchables or Dalits have the lowest caste, while whites in America are the dominant highest caste equivalent to the Indian Brahmins. And this was actually very well explained by this panelist who was discussing this book I was watching the other day. This polarization has not just happened out of the blue. And I think it is actually a a pushback of those who are too used to uh, being at the top of the food chain. And uh, so I will, I I personally, am not, you know, all sides are equal in this entire tussle. I think the people who are used to forming the dominant narrative, class and caste, when they see someone getting, whether it is, you know, equal pay, uh, the, the, the health insurance, or whether it is benefits that you thought were only for me, that my street will be clean better than that person's street. Suddenly, when you've grown up with that internalized, any sort of equality rocks your world. And that is true for governments and people. That is true for, you know, and that is where everyone's become inward looking. So I think it is, way more complex, like I was watching a Nigerian activist speaking of what happened in Nigeria. I mean, I'm sure you've been following that the horrible, you know, killings and now those video clips have also come out of those. They were from the army or for the police, you know, just coming and killing their own people. That person sitting on BBC and saying this is what my government does. And the international community has to weigh in on them. Now, if an Indian did that, let's say an Indian Kashmiri did that, or those Muslims who were bashed up on the streets of Delhi did that, they would be called anti national. Because that, they are challenging the status quo. You're but if you go to you're Which is also the narrative that politicians have picked up. So I think there is one side that gains more with this narrative than, you know, any other side. The world over. Uh, Raman, sir, so if you could come in and then, you know, we'll just take one more round. And then I think our panelists may have to leave.
3: Uh, sorry, just to jump in. I mean, there's this very pithy sort of saying it says to those who benefit from inequality justice seems like oppression
4: okay I mean uh, media to say that the media is just reflection of you know what is happening in the society fine I mean after all all people you know come from the same society but having said that uh, it doesn't mean that we need to we should stop you know uh, uh, reflecting the fact that the divisiveness is killing killing us you know the, 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 we should follow the basic principles that uh, when while reporting we need, need to give all the sides so i mean it's not that difficult for the media so i think we we need to be we need to detest uh, ourselves and uh, then we need to have a look at the society
1: Guys, before we move on, just want to thank you for contributing to Bihar election SENA project. We finally collected about 4,55,000 rupees. The total amount was 5,40,000 that we needed. So we're still about 90,000 short. If you can please contribute and top that up, it'll help us to make sure that we don't go into deficits. Uh, so thank you so much for all of you who contributed. I hope you liked all the reports that Basant did. He traveled extensively and I think he did a fantastic job of reporting on the election. I hope he's safe, although we should get him tested now. We have another fund up, which is the NL Legal Fund. If you go to our website, newslonny.com, you'll see that we have been sent legal notices and a criminal case has been filed against our wonderful Prateek, who's an honest, amazing, upright reporter. And we intend to fight it and not get intimidated in a court of law. Uh, This costs money. We've had three hearings in the high court. We will have more. Uh, And for that, we need money uh, because this takes resources. It takes good lawyers. So do go to newsroni.com and please contribute to our NL Legal Fund. We shall be very grateful. Thank you so much. Also, our new podcast player is up. You have been experiencing it. So do click on the mic icon at the top of the homepage. This podcast player is as good as any major podcast platform. Haftar will be going behind the paywall, I think, by next to next week. Uh, So do share it with as many people as you can while it's free. Uh, We are sorting out many of the login issues. Most have been sorted out. Many of you have given feedback on the new website. Uh, We have incorporated some of those suggestions. We will incorporate some of the others. And if you're still a Mufat Khur, it's a good time to survive because A, we have integrated PayPal for credit cards. We have a payment gateway that works for all major American and European cards. So people from overseas can also subscribe easily. And from Diwali to Christmas, we have a fantastic scheme where you get really cool news laundry merch. So if you subscribe now, you can actually gift a subscription and get some pretty fancy gifts, which are really nice. So do check it out. And if you don't support journalism, journalism will die. The governments across the world, and especially in India are closing their noose around journalistic freedom. There are all sorts of regulatory frameworks that are being recommended, restrictions to how you can raise money. But the one thing they can't stop is subscribers like you from supporting independent journalism. So please pay to keep news free, subscribe to News Laundry. Moving on, this email comes from Eldrick Ribello. Do you have the panel straight to the point? Arfa's comment about feeling hurt by jibes against the Islamic prophet are representative of the misplaced insecurity rampant in Indian society. By claiming to be hurt, Arfa's unspoken subtext is that you should not hurt me. You can do this by not criticizing a certain aspect of my religion. And this is what she terms respect. This idea of unfettered respect does two things. One, it shuts down the conversation and prevents constructive criticism. Two, respect leads to calcification in society. Respect and sanskara are significant reasons why Indian society will continue to decay. Arfa, a criticism of your religion and even of your parents is not a criticism of you. A separate issue is why Europe continues to fail at integrating non-white immigrants. I'll quote a dear friend. Europe is a deeply insular continent that loves to pretend it is not. North America is not an insular continent but loves to pretend that it is. Anyone can become American but you cannot change your ethnicity to become French. In France, an Arab man will always be an Arab man and never French. Superficially, some French people may profess to not be biased, but that's simply top dressing on society that is fundamentally based around exclusion by ethnicity. There is significant overlap between French identity and French ethnicity, and those who aren't part of one or the other exist on the fringes of society. There is a very strong undercurrent of xenophobia in European society that often boils over into racism. We are now witnessing the pushback from the fringes of society. Another male on the same issue is from Hemal. Hemal says, I'm a Frenchman of Indian origin with a master's degree in environmental policy. Agriculture has been following your podcast for two weeks. Sorry, environmental policy and agriculture. And uh, Hemal has been following our podcast for two weeks. Three things. About the beheading in Paris, it has its roots in what we call Cite. How do you pronounce that, Chitra? L-A-I-C-I-T-E? Laicite. Laicite, Okay. In the constitution, or rather secularism, which emerges from the separation of state and church. While it may be true that there is discrimination and marginalization of Muslims in France, I disagree that President Macron was Islamophobic. It was celebrated by right-wing circles in India, which is strange because they overlook our secularism principle as a whole. If they really believe in freedom of speech, they would have thicker skins and not get offended so easily at the slightest provocation. I mean, what is the point of freedom of speech if I can't even say something that will offend someone? Macron did thread a line when he gave the interview to Al Jazeera. He made a distinction that it is a fight against separatism and not Islam itself. Manisha gets it right when she says there is a fundamental dislike of religion in public life. It is the opposite of most places. Voltaire also famously said, I disapprove what you said, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. I have a slogan for you at News Laundry, separating Ornob's from the news and cleaning journalism since 2012. Thank you for that slogan, Hemant, Himal. Hey sorry. And it would be great to discuss political philosophy with Abhinandan with some wine and nobody can call me champagne liberal because here champagne is for the masses. Uh, And Hemal has sent some links of the pieces uh, uh, Hemal has written for the Indian Express. And uh, on the same issue, this one mail, and then I'd like to get the views. This is from Shruti, greetings. By the time you read this mail, my subscription might have expired because I did not receive my scholarship grant yet. However, I'd like to express my disagreement with a few things that Manisha said regarding the discourse related to France and the freedom of speech debate. Shruti says, regarding my previous mail, perhaps this did not come across well, but my intention was not to compare the French civilization with Islamic counterpart. My response was to the problem of integration of French Arabs into society. Telling somebody to adopt the religion to French enlightenment becomes counterproductive to the aim of integration, which Macron himself identified in his speech. What is productive is to understand the religion and civilization entirely and not stripped from context. The illustrations that I gave previously was to prove this point, that when we talk about Islam, we often forget that religion and its interpretations are subject to time and history. Also, if one has to convince a fundamentalist that violence is a bad idea, then it's best to look within and not without. Like Arfa said, that is from the prophet one gets to know what violence is a bad idea. This bears semblance to Gandhi's understanding of secularism as well. Two, projecting the cartoons on buildings, Manisha implied that this was a fair response from the French government and she drew parallels with beef festivals that individuals or organizations organize in response to a beef ban. I don't think this was a fair parallel. There is a difference when a party or organization does it versus when a government does it. A government represents diverse demography and they should not alienate a significant section of society. Otherwise, it would amount to what we are seeing in India. That's what when the French government projects the cartoons, it ends up alienating an already alienated mass from the discourse. The point of dialogue is shunned and they are told that it's the french way or the highway love shruti so those three issues uh, males are on this you know the french issue and we've discussed it and we've disagreed also at length uh, here uh, you know um uh, on, on the hafta panel but since uh, you know we have two new guests a i'd like to know chitra's view because chitra you have lived in europe for much of your life and i think you're quite also fluent in french if i'm not wrong What is your take on this? Is it, would you say how Macron responded was more alienating or are you more from the Manisha's point of view that that is what French hold dear and it it is absolutely legit for them to push back the way they did?
2: Well, yes. I mean, uh, I didn't listen to that uh, previous conversation, but I think perhaps it's the only country in Europe where you don't see anything religious on any offices or any walls. I mean, they they really believe in the laicite. They do, so uh, that is a very it's very French, you know. They they it, they grow up with that, so I I genuinely think that what Macron said, I genuinely believe what he said. Now comes the question of uh, you know the beheading in Nice and uh, the other two other instances. It is a problem. I mean, and you know whether it's immigration or unemployment or whatever. But what I find uh, in trying to look for a word, what I find disturbing is that. You know, from India, we get a lot of gyan, you know, you are now getting what we are getting. They have no idea. I mean, I really want to make this point that a lot of Indian commentary, they have no idea about Europe. You know, they have zero idea about Europe, just like Europeans may not know about India. So we should first stop thinking that we know everything about Europe. We may have some knowledge about the UK, but Europe is very, very different. You know, Europe has been at war for thousands of years. We've talked about this. They have been at war. They have been at peace. And they sort it out. And we are trying to, I think we in India are trying to become, attach ourselves to some international conspiracy against Hindus and all that, which I personally don't think is happening. And if there's any phobia happening, it's between ourselves. You know, we are phobic about each other. And we're trying to find some... See, it's happening in France. See, it's happening in Italy. Now we've really got to get serious about you know cutting that and taking care of our own problems. Let's take the example, and it's another one. Love Trump. We have a whole lot of people who support Trump in India, Indian Indian Trump academies, which is fine. You know, you maybe you like Trump, you don't like Biden. What is not acceptable is that you don't respect the other point of view. You know, and either you're this or you're that. And the two letters, the the responses that you've got, I mean, they're very heavy. They're heavy in terms of what they seek. You know, most human beings are not so complicated. They just, what do you want? You want to get up in the morning, go and have a good job, study a bit, and not get disturbed. I think we analyze so much that in the end, it's becoming irrelevant. So that is, you know, I mean, everybody has an access. In my view, everybody has God's personal number. Why do you have to go and disturb another person unless there's a need to do, unless you're not sure of your, your own self? The other point I want to make, and I think this is even more telling, is that when we speak about Abrahamic religions in India, we, we just say Christianity and Islam, and we leave out Judaism. Why do we do that? You see, we say, oh, Abrahamic, because it's, or oh, these Muslims, or oh, these Christians. But Judaism is part of Abrahamic religions. And what the Jews did in France, because of the history of the war and, you know, the they were also uh, people were killed. They, they have started their own uh, uh, religious institute. You can go to school, but you can also go to a school which keeps you rooted in your own religion, which is what you've now seen Macron saying that going, he's going to train some priests. So you know, uh, you can go to an Islamic school. So you know, the point I'm trying to make is that every country tries to find its own solution given its own history. And I think it's very bad to compare, very bad to sort of say, OK, blacks in America, whites in America, Brahmins in India no? and on. I think you have to be able to discuss it with a view to finding a solution and not winning a game, because it's not a game that's being played here. Smita, your view on that, you heard the males.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't heard that podcast, uh, which uh, the males were about. Uh, but the, you, know, the, you hear this all the time of, oh, you should have a thick skin you should be able to discuss this. It's always the other person should have a thick skin. Meera thick skin nahi hai, meera thin skin. You can't insult my religion, but you should have a thick skin about your religion. Your religion you're very sensitive about, but my religion, oh, I'm not so sensitive about my religion. I'm ready to discuss it. Tark with hona chahiye, but within boundaries when it comes to my religion, but no boundaries when it comes to your religion. And I'm saying this across the board, whether it is Islam, whether it is Hinduism in our country, of course, it will be that. And uh, even when it comes to caste, you know, uh, these kind of barriers, it, it becomes like literally volatile, whether you're discussing this at... In the most open of fora in Delhi, in your India International Centre, or you're discussing it in the drawing rooms, or you're discussing it in schools and colleges. Everybody is hypersensitive uh, when it comes to these things, you know. And uh, like when you were talking about, you know, the comfort factor that existed in many uh, homes, in many in many societies, that I think a lot of it is getting broken down. When I talked about disruption these days, COVID has made us think like that too. I mean, when you were sitting down and when you're talking to people like us, P- PLUs, you'll find it so openly said, Are, ab to family mein bhi lag gaya. don't you hear this these days? Why? Because there are many people who thought this happens only, you know, when, when you stop the maids and the drivers and the cooks from entering your housing society, you've stopped COVID from entering your housing, entering your families. That thing broke down. That realization that a pandemic is going to hit you, regardless of your caste, class, your religion, is something that is making everybody aware that these barriers are breaking down. In the the whole concept of your love jihad and all these talks, all these concepts which you grew up with thinking that, you know, this is something that you discussed academically outside, but you actually practice it differently. You know, I mean, uh, going to restaurants where people like us come. You go to movie halls where there are people like us. You sip champagne and drink your drinks with people like us. So the worldview, you mix with worldviews, uh, mix with people with worldviews like yours. There are very few people, even among journalists, who will mix with people who are not like you. So, you know, when I talked about things which are polarization, you will notice that even there, even among journalists, We are so hidebound. We are so in echo chambers. We don't want to mix with people who don't have the same political thought as their, as your own. And when you do meet, you pretend that you didn't know that person if that person changed. If he changed his worldview, if he changed the way he was thinking. It's such a moribund way of thinking, you know, that, oh, okay, I am left or I am right, and I am going to mix only with the kind who are right or who are left. The same comes with caste and class. Those barriers are breaking down. And if you don't accept that, then I think you're not moving with the times. And I think your growth as a journalist gets, I mean, I am saying journalism again and again because we are several of us who are journalists in this group. I think we need to be more open we need to accept that things are changing i myself have seen that growth in me the things that i took for granted because i i myself live in you know in in these gated communities uh, go to those restaurants and suddenly all that broke down i think social media did a lot of that because we were living in these insulated echo chambers i think social media shook us out of that i think we we learn to accept the other point of view more, see the other point of view. Yes, the trolling, etc., hits you, because if you have a different point of view, you get trolled a lot. But I think I learn a lot from the trolling too. I learn about caste and class and stuff like that, which I didn't when I was growing up in, my, in the kind of background that I did where everything yeah. came so
1: easy. It wasn't acknowledged also in those cocoons. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, how many of you have you met Abhinandan who said, "Oh, I didn't even know about my caste." That's a privilege.
1: Exactly. But I, I mean, I also think you know, things have changed in some ways for the worse. But I'll, yeah, I'll elaborate on that right now. Mehraj, you know, you, you want to come in because you were there for that uh, when we discussed this the uh, Prophet cartoon. Um, but yeah, you heard the mails. You want to weigh in on this, and then Raman sir.
3: No, I, I think uh, the, when it first happened, we spoke at length. I was there. Just two quick points. I mean, this idea that you can't feel hurt about something, I mean, I don't understand that. I mean, you have, if you have the right to offend somebody, to make, to hurt somebody, people can feel hurt without, I mean, doing anything about it. But that's just a social thing. That's just a personal thing. Other thing is, I mean, it's never, like I said, that time also, it's never very good to see things outside of their context. When you're talking about Macron's reaction to what happened, also understand that there's an election coming up in France, that Marie-Lepin is on the ascendancy. There the, the there were Yellow West protests for weeks and weeks on end because the economics their economic situation is really bad. Mm. The people who got left out because of Macron's economic policies. There is also the context of, like I said, I think the last time also, the French forces killed 50 people in Malta, uh, not sorry, Malta, Mali, because they said they were some extremists. Nobody knows who they were. France is still involved in its former colonies in Africa. And that's where most of their immigrants come from. So when you see all this context, you tend to make better sense of it. It's not always like I think Chitra also said that this is black and this is white. This is good and this
1: is bad. It's not always as simple as that. Raman, sir, you want to win before we move on to the final subject?
4: No, I think there is a certain uh, French way of life, which Macron, uh, you know, try to, uh, you know, tell. And uh, I think rightly so, because the assimilation is a two-way process. Uh, It's not that, uh, I mean, uh, the migrants uh, who now have become part of the French population, and they want, you know, the French to assimilate the way they want, uh, so, so, I think uh, Macron was not uh, wrong in what he said.
1: Okay, so I just want to move on to this headline, which is the 15 Asia-Pacific countries form the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, RCEP, the world's largest free trade bloc. Now, China is backing it. We are not part of it. From, you know, what is your take on this, Chitra? And also, um, what lessons can one learn from what happened in Europe on this free trade bloc?
2: okay basically you know i i was quite taken aback that we you know we negotiated for uh, such a long time and then we did not uh we did not sign on because i don't believe that divisions help historically if you see let's look at how this whole divide and rule that was practiced by the british empire you know you divided them so you can rule and i i and i definitely feel that china is you know i do not have China is a hegemon. China will not tolerate uh, a strong India next to it. And I feel we should have stayed in and fought our way because we have what it takes. And the reasons given for not uh, not being part of the RCEP had to do more with or uh, what was in, in the public domain. It said that we didn't want to become, you know, we were... Uh, the globalization had led to us producing uh, substandard stuff, or we had become a ground for dumping. There was also an issue about, the orig- you know, or the origin issue of where things were or, coming from. So there were three or four issues. But I think the only way you can go ahead is to be involved. You know, staying out of any. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big one for engaging. You know, you need to keep your enemies closer, and uh, and it's this whole this huge machine that is called China, and I believe China is on a completely different plane. We really need to uh, engage with more uh, countries, and people have been writing that we do have bilateral, we have bilateral treaties with all these countries in the ASEAN and, and beyond, but how are we going to do, figure multilaterally? What are we going to do? You know, which comes first? And this is the whole thing. You have to be present at the table, as as many tables as possible, because that is in self-interest. You,
1: you think practically it can truly be a free trade block? I mean, are there too many contradictory interests between countries, especially the, the the 26 here, for it to really be a truly free trade block? Or you think it'll be namke free trade, but there'll be bilateral you know unique there
2: will always be there will always be but you know you have so even to know that no even to know that you don't want to uh, learn that second hand okay you want to learn that by yourself from from your own self-interest let me give you an example of, of europe and you know they're constantly bickering at each other you know it's supposed to be the european union but they're constantly at each other's throats but they're all in one gang And Switzerland is outside. So Switzerland needs to renegotiate with all these people. In one infrastructure project, it took Switzerland 20 years. Now, you know, I'm looking at India as we are not, you know, we have limited resources. Uh, When we spoke at the UNGA recently about expansion and our rights, we did speak about how, you know, we do not have the wherewithal or even number of people so uh, to, to carry on these uh, negotiations. And, and, and I feel that at a time when the world is looking away from China, they're looking to disinvest in China and look for other countries. And India is a country which can offer so many things. You know, raising this sort of closing ourselves now in the name of being Atmanirbhar, somehow I thought was short-sighted uh, because, you know, the reasons are not, are not convincing enough for me.
1: Smita, what is your view? You think we've missed a trick by sitting out this one?
0: Yeah, you know, to put this in perspective, that uh, it's 26 trillion, I think, is the GDP of these countries put together. And uh, that's 30% of the world population in these countries. So the obvious thing is that we should have been part of it. But the other obvious thing is that the US is not part of it. And India, in its wisdom, has uh, decided to stay out. But I don't think... Uh, these Asian countries are going to shut their doors on us, whether it's as individual nations or whether it is as this grouping. But the current security situation on the India-China border and showing no signs of reduction, I think that was a major part, though it's unsaid, that, uh, you know, why we are not there. That having been said, I think for any transcontinental grouping to succeed, uh, there needs to be some principles that unite the nations mostly we've seen that what works as a glue is uh, like you see in the eu that you know liberal values of democracy rule of law pluralism respect for cultural identities also militaries can cooperate you know if they are non conflict non conflict groupings now the quad can be that for us uh the nam uh, was something like that because it had this one glue which is not to be aligned one motto or whatever you want to call it one goal they were new nations trying to find their feet in you know in this committee of nations in those, in that era but it's it's failed it's lost its mojo uh sarc is a disaster we were uh, founding members that's become a disaster even as far as asean is concerned it looks like a me too eu Nothing really happens. It's like talk shop every time. Yeah, You know, nothing moves beyond that. And it's all because of, as Chitra pointed out, China. It's that big brother sitting out there. Now, you know, with Trump gone, I think this RCEP is, I think many of them have said in their speeches, they said that, you know, this conflict with China, going on this conflict path is not working out. So uh, I don't know, maybe India didn't get its assurances over market access to those countries' Uh, which it wanted. Uh, the FTA sounds good, yes, but if you can't sell your products in, in regulated market like China, and then you open up your market for them, what is the point? Our manufacturing has got so hit, what are we making that we're going to sell in those countries? It's not. So maybe individual for some time till we get our manufacturing going and then go, get into the group. But
2: you know, if I'm just coming to say that we are, even the US stayed out, but we can't compare both our economies. You know, we, I, read, I read a lot of stories saying India and U.S. stay out. We are not, it's not as if India is the U.S. Yes. You know, so this is the whole, whole thing for me. And uh,
0: yeah, I mean, they, they
1: can't compare. I mean those are we leverage. can't
2: compare. You know, I mean, U.S. and China, they're going to, you know, slam each other out and they're going to have trade wars and whatever. The EU will come in. But we are not a major trading player. Somewhere, I think that has. To, we have to accept that we could become one. But today we are not there. So that was my position.
1: Right. Um So before Smita and Chitra, you uh, leave us, can you just give us your recommendations that can enrich the lives of our listeners?
0: So... Um... I was, I've been watching uh, Netflix and reading a bit, which I didn't do for a long time. I just finished with, uh, I'm watching actually uh, The Crown and I find it Ah. dull and boring and depressing. (laughs) So that is something I don't recommend. Uh, Unlike the earlier seasons, this one is so terribly boring. Mm. And uh, as far as reading is concerned, there are two books next to my bed. Uh, One is The Greatest Urdu Stories Ever Told by Mohammed Umar Memon, I'm just starting that. And I'm halfway through The Ultimate Goal by Vikram Sood. So both sound interesting to me. One I've gone halfway through and I certainly recommend. The other one, pick it up. Right. Thanks, Mitha. Uh, thank you for making thank time. Thank you, great being on this. Thank you.
2: Bye. Me? Yes. The recommendation. So I recommendation. I just thought I would, since you're talking about vaccines and technology and all that, it's not a new book, mm. but it's the one called That Blood. Secrets and Lies in Silicon Valley Startups by John Carreyrou. C-A-R-R-E-Y-R-O-U. It's just about how, you know, anybody, I mean, this, it's this person who hoodwinks everybody. And so that's an interesting book, which I think we should be reading in the context of all that's going on around us. And an old favorite, which is Remains of the Day by Ishiguro. I really think, you know, when for me, it's these books I go back to when I feel like you know reading doing some real good reading so that right thanks
1: Chitra thank you for making the time Uh, and uh, stay safe stay well I hope to see you soon whenever you're here we were hoping to get you for this year's media rumble but it was not to be maybe next year you will join us
2: and get well soon
1: I shall thank you so much bye Uh, before I move on um Mehraj you have anything to say on this the 26 members uh 15 members yes So first I'll like full
3: disclosure where I'm coming from. So you'll get an idea. I see free trade as it's currently understood as it's been understood for the last 40 years as an inherently bad thing. And these kind of free trade blocks, if you see the historic, how they have worked historically, you see NAFTA, you see TIPP, you see other trade packs. They have always worked only in favor of countries which have solid manufacturing bases and which are cheap, which cheaply produce goods. The same thing NAFTA happened here happened, or alternatively countries which have very solid financial markets. Countries that don't have these things invariably suffer. And that was going to be the case with if India had joined this and the protections they wanted in agriculture, for example, India would have suffered because imagine if you don't have tariffs on agricultural produce that comes into this country, which means already indian farmers barely barely make a living off of farming now you have the country flooded with say foodstuff. what's going to happen to your agricultural market china would benefit because they have a very solid manufacturing economy they can uh, export a lot of cheap goods to the rest of rest of the rest of the world rest of the block india wouldn't have had that sort of advantage. So I, I suppose on the whole, I think it's a good thing they stayed out of it and they can have bilateral uh, bilateral agreements, which also invariably are, obviously are currently aren't in India's favor because India is running trade deficits when, with most of these countries for the same reason because they don't have a as solid a manufacturing base as compared to even smaller countries in this block, for example, Vietnam and, and, and the rest. When China and US sort of normalized their ties, sort of created this uh, friction-free trade in the in the 80s, starting in the 80s, what happened? What that did is, and what uh, NAFTA did is, they ripped the heart out of the American manufacturing. And one of the primary reasons for like this growing inequality it, there and across in many parts of the world is that because of this these free trade arrangements. And one of the reasons for the rise of Trump and far right in a lot of places, even inside European Union, if you see even without all the other geostrategic sort of problems, without war, without conflict, you see what happened to Greece, you see what happened to Portugal, you see what's happening to Eastern Europe right now that they are going back They're like basically inviting Xi Jinping to come and rescue them. That is one of the main reasons is these free trade arrangements.
1: Also, I think the way, I mean, free trade, and you can see how it's America has fallen to it, everyone's become more insular and looking internally. And I think this is something that has been predicted by at that time was seen by the left radicals, you know, the Washington consensus, this entire World Bank, IMF, led, you know, open out your markets to each other, push out there. And now that it hits the rich countries, now everybody's looking within. I think Many of these things were predicted earlier. No one wanted to pay attention because it benefited the rich and made them richer. But I don't think there is any doubt free trade is not a zero-sum game. It's not. There are winners and losers, and that is inevitable. And one just has to balance these things in different times, in different geographies, in different contexts. But to pretend that it is a zero-sum game has been, I think, the biggest lie that has been told to the world for way too long. Uh, by the very people who are today saying that oh it it's a problem, but Ravan, sir, you have a view I mean, on this? Sorry, just a button. I mean, the whole idea of trade is that it, it it
3: it's to your advantage, right? You get some benefit out of it. If the if you are involved in a trade which doesn't benefit you, let alone benefit you, which in which you're losing out. I mean, it's clearly it's not for you. You better
1: stay out of it. And there are, I mean, while there can be deals which benefit both parties and the general allocation of resources is efficient, which is efficient, but societies are very complicated and complex. And there are so many intended and unintended consequences that the whole simplicity with which it was sold to the world for so long was a big con. And uh, I'm glad I used to sit on Dharna's against the IMF and the World Bank back then. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, man. In fact, when I, my entire flirtation of activism started, our main boogeyman used to be the World Bank. So, wherever World Bank was be, we would So, and then uh, in fact, uh, someone who I have sat on many dharnas with who used, used to work for Arunaji's organization, she, I met her years later at a dinner and she said, I met my husband, right? Realized I knew her husband. And uh, he worked for uh, I think Morgan Stanley or uh, which is that consultancy? Um, Boston consultancy? No, group? Um, McKinsey. McKinsey. McKinsey, yeah. And uh, I was like, you're married to him? I said, we used to, you know, shit on McKinsey all the time. Basically, anyone who was a McKinsey consultant, we were like, to <laughs> <laughs> so what you gonna? I said, now nah, you're married to him? Have you told him about all the dharanas you said? hi. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but,
1: Ravan, sir, what do you think of
4: this? Do you want to weigh in on this whole thing? Now, I think India has to push its way through to gain maximum out of the global economy. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, in this particular case, I think India had been negotiating since uh, I, I think till 2019. I don't know, but uh, maybe the immediate trigger in this particular case was uh, that limited small war with China. So, so, so maybe I think we, uh, India is in a sulking mode. When it comes to China, so so maybe maybe that is why they opted out of it. But yes, I mean uh, you have very rightly said that uh, free trade is uh, not a zero-sum game. It's is a two-way process. So India has to India India has to offer its market. And uh, when it comes to products, we are very limited. We are not a manufacturing country. We had diamonds to. Uh, you know, export and, uh, and maybe sugar to some extent. So I think India has to push its way through. We have to be part of the global economy. There is no doubt about it.
1: Right. So, uh, now I'll just go over the emails uh, and then if anyone has anything to say on that, they can respond and then we can wind up. This email, uh, I will not use your name sir, because I don't know what the rules are in your country for civil services to write such emails. So I will just call you WH, uh, you are from the Pakistan Administrative Service. Hello, all I'm writing from Pakistan. I'm an officer of the Pakistan Administrative Service, which is the Pakistani equivalent of IAS and currently serving as an assistant commissioner or SDM. I have been listening to NL Hafta ever since it has come out of a paywall. But along the way, I decided to become an actual subscriber. I generally like you guys, despite these crazy times, it is heartening to see how all of you think about things in a rational manner and never give in to prejudice and preconceived notions. I would like for the panel to spend some time discussing the efficacy or even the raison d'etre, how do you pronounce this?
4: Raison d'etre.
1: For IAS and the PAS. As an insider, I have come to believe we are part of the problem rather than a solution. One large part of the issue is an old generalist versus specialist debate. The other issues relate to this idea of a district collector or magistrate at district level who happens to be the fulcrum around which everything in the district revolves, which is against the principles of devolution and diffusion of power. India and Pakistan are pretty similar in this respect because both countries have inherited the same bureaucratic structure from the British Raj and have continued with the same barring of (laughs) a little bit of tinkering here and there. Please discuss. Team NL should come and visit Pakistan and you will find many fans and friends here and many reasonable people who don't see India as an enemy. I wish Indian audience had better means to learn about Pakistan and not just rely on legacy media and its portrayal of Pakistan. Regards WH. So thank you so much sir for this wonderful email and for subscribing. Now of course when the the government knows that we are getting subscribers from Pakistan we will truly be international. So you may be getting us into more trouble than you'll be getting yourself into but, but I completely agree with you on the IS, this whole structure, which is, which kind of inhibits efficient governance and also actually is counterproductive to democratic principles in my view. I understand that you have to have a governance structure and, you know, what the British left behind was a good skeleton to build your flesh on. I just think we've given it way more power than it deserves. And I completely agree with you on that respect. I'm not sure you can completely do away with it. Yeah, so I think one has to tinker a little more. But I I still don't know whether we can do away with it or maybe I'm just too, too fixed in an idea of I've been conditioned to think this way. What do you think, um, Raman sir, Maharaj?
3: I mean, uh, to govern a country, you need a bureaucracy, especially a modern country. But the way this has been structured, like he also pointed out, except for tinkering here and there, it hasn't changed since the colonial times. And the colonial masters put in this system with the explicit purpose of governing it for them not governing it for the people and Mm -hmm. because that sort of fundamental thing hasn't changed that's a problem i mean usually the discussion about ias and like administrative services is about like he also pointed out between specialists and generalists whether that's i think that's a very spurious debate the debate is who is accountable Whether you should have, say, for example, a cabinet secretary or a principal secretary in the central government who has such immense power over the lives of over 1 billion people and who is practically unaccountable, let alone unaccountable, most of the people don't even know who he is. So the best way out of this is decentralization. I mean, if you have bureaucracies that are local and preferably elected, maybe, I mean, not the whole thing elected, say the head of the local police is elected, like they have in, for example, U.S. The head of the your local, say, DC is elected, like that. So if you do really make it, make the and the one better way, one best way to decentralize is to have the people from within the community govern you. Say so you pick the people, uh, the bureaucrats from your from your community, you pick the police from that same local community and have them govern you because they have the relationships. They know what's best, what isn't best. You can hold them more accountable. Unlike, say, having, for example, in a Kashmir uh, an IS officer from Jharkhand who has absolutely no idea what Kashmir is all about, but he has such immense power that he can do whatever he wants. That, yep. that is a problem that utter centralization that unaccountability is a problem. But obviously, you need a bureaucracy. You can't govern a country otherwise. Raman, sir?
4: Uh, We we were a feudal society and we are a feudal society. And IAS, IPS, you know, came out of that mode and they were status symbol, you know, in the past and they remain, even today, uh, you know, the status symbol. So, 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 I think I, so, so, they became it's, it's a kind of steel frame, you know, uh, of IAS, IPS, who are serving their own interest. It has, over the years, you know, it has become an end for people to to get into IAS. They do not u- use this job, you know, as a means to serve people. So so that that is lost, definitely lost.
1: Okay, this email is from Akshat. Uh, he's written to basically express his disagreement to Arfa. Uh, and her views on the whole Jungle Raj Lalu thing. Uh, Akshat says, in Hafta 301, uh, Arfa portrayed Lalu as a symbol of social justice and argued that the branding of 15 years of Lalu's rule in Bihar as Jungle Raj was a result of an upper caste bias. While it is true that people belonging to OBC and SC communities were persecuted and marginalized under the governments which existed before Lalu, Atme Miss Arfa has given a free pass to Lalu by conveniently comparing him to governments which existed before him. This argument is flawed because those governments are mostly Congress. And they were hardly relevant in today's Bihar. Instead, Lalu's regime should be compared to Nitish's 15 years in Bihar and is in this context that the NDA terms Lalu's tenure as jungle Raj. Nitish Kumar has been no less a poster boy of social justice than Lalu. In the last 15 years, he has reached out and found a solid support base in the extremely backward classes and women voters. Moreover, in spite of being an ally of the BJP, he has never been anti-Muslim and has enjoyed the support of a sizable chunk of Muslim votes. Not to forget, Bihar is the only NDA-ruled state which passed a resolution against CA and NRC. JD also refused to support the decision of the Modi government to de-operationalize Article 370. So nitish improved law and order, which were deteriorated drastically. So that is what Akshat says, that Arfa's prescription um, and diagnosis of Bihar was something it disagrees with. Then Nidhi says, Dear team use laundry. Greetings and congratulations on making it to 300. The new website looks great and the mode of payment is insanely easy. I have been a long time listener since 2015 and now I'm a subscriber. Needless to say, I love and appreciate your new news content to the core. Sometimes I feel I have become too left-leaning, so I switched gears to another podcast, which bored me to death. I realized I can't even get hooked on to other Desi podcasts. Abhinandan is the soul of the show, which keeps me still listening from Hafta 24 to 300 and on. Thank you so much. Manisha's nuisance is wow! I have no words to appreciate, which could fit and describe the brilliance of the show. Everyone in news laundry is entitled to a big round of applause for the in-depth reporting and keeping us all fed with what's going on in the Indian news media. Thank you so much, Nidhi, and thank you for subscribing. I hope other people take the cue from you and learn and subscribe and pay to keep news free. Because when the public pays, the public is served. And those of you who've been watching, UP Hazard. Has an endless capacity to give ads. Today there's Indian Express has like three full ads. Yeah. I mean, I'm just blown away by the amount of yogi ads that have appeared across media. Whether you see on bloody like, open India website, Swaraj website, Indian Express, you turn on the TV, they have like half an hour shows on him. I mean, no wonder. And this is a state I just read,
3: like when I was reading the headlines. Two young children, two young girls who were killed and thrown in a well. Mm. It's cry, really? there's, every day, there's some horrib- horrific story like that coming out of that place. But yeah, that's do.
1: When Himanshu is written, Himanshu says, I'm a new subscriber and it's my third week of my newsletter subscription. I was a Mufat Khur for a very long time before even considering to subscribe. I'm glad you changed Himanshu and I hope other Mufat Khurs are also listening to you. I'm writing this email to discuss the American election results. Now that the results have been called and Joe Biden is president elect, It still made me think what went wrong with these guys that even after taking all wrong steps during the pandemic, the Republicans still end up with 232 electoral votes and the Democrats lose seats in the House and are not able to flip the Senate. And now their fate to flip the Senate hangs by the runoff election to be held in Georgia. I would appreciate everyone's view on it. And my opinion, I think the woke Twitter SJWs, what are SJWs? I don't know what that means.
4: Social justice warriors.
1: Oh, Social justice warriors. Okay. And those that was Aditya, by the way, a producer. He's young, so he knows these things. He's woke. He's, woke. <laughs> He's a woke SJW. Yeah. And those people who constantly shame people on the basis of being politically incorrect, even in their older tweets, made it difficult for them. And to me, it seems that people, instead of electing government, that will literally make them walk on eggshells in terms of political correctness, they decide to vote for the Republicans. I've added a few links at the end of my mail. Which make my point. It's a BBC story in a professor who was in the middle of a storm due to then Bill Ma, of course, his last monologue was on this. Then NPR's article on it and another link that explains your point. And this is a YouTube link. And the NPR article is an article called Latinx is a term. Many Latinx. Okay, right. Well, I kind of agree and disagree with you, Himanshu. I think over like this over the top political correctness and all is a problem. But I think if that makes you vote for someone like Trump, then you did not need very much, because I do think that you know being feeling claustrophobic because of too much of political correctness does not make you endorse complete idiots and complete hateful attitudes. I think for that, you have to have a little bit of that in you. I mean, you know, I've told you I've, I've held my nose and voted for uh, Vajpayee in the past I've kind of. Not happily, but I voted for, uh, you know, Mayawati in spite of some very offensive things they said. But I mean, I I don't think I'll, you know, I can get myself to vote for someone who's out and out promoting hate just because I find political correctness problematic. So I'm not sure that's a convincing argument, actually. And I saw Bilma's piece on it. I, I don't agree with him on that. Guys, what do you think? Um, But also, I think it's a little simplistic to say that
3: people voted for Trump only because of this. If you see the polling data, he increased his leads even among black people, Latin people, even LGBT people. The only people who didn't vote for him in as large numbers as the last time were actually educated white men. Hmm. So this isn't just about this. The point is, I mean, if you really look at what did Joe Biden and Kamala Harris offer, that they were not Trump. Other than that, nothing. And now you see the their transition team they have built up, the new staff at staff the White House they have announced. It's the same parade of the, oh, the Wall Street crooks, the Silicon Valley lobbyists, the, the warmongers. So what are they offering? So if you're going, not going to offer people anything, Trump see the thing with Trump was the last time he made promises they were populist promises he said we'll give you jobs here we'll end all offshoring we won't let china take your jobs that was a powerful message for people like i was saying earlier also for people in the in the in in parts of america which had manufacturing bases and which were ripped out so that appealed to them now i am worrying that if these guys don't do anything in the last four years. If it's just the same old Obama and Clinton stuff all over again, that message, and if Republicans are, say, for example, are a little wiser and they put up a candidate who doesn't have the baggage of Trump and who has the same message, but, I mean, they'll crush Democrats. Because what are you offering voters? At the end of the day, you have to offer people something other than just fear-mongering the Trump and Russia and all that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I kind of agree, but I... I don't think, and again, you know, like I think what Chitra said, most people don't strip things threadbare and analyze them like journalists or news professionals do. But the way Trump is behaving now, after this, if people still vote for him, I don't think they give a fuck about anything here. I mean, if a guy who is delegitimizing democracy and and you see the kind of things he's doing, what he's tweeting, what he's saying, what Lindsey Graham is doing, if you've, if you if you have witnessed all this stuff and you as an American voter can see this. I don't think just because Kamala Harris and Biden have nothing to offer, I'll vote for these people because this guy can destroy democracy. And if I'm okay with that, then I don't even think being offered anything is going to save me. Then I'm fucked. My basic values are fucked. So that's the thing. Like,
3: Like Chitra was also saying, people like most people just care about, okay, we'll have a decent job. We'll have something to feed our families. I don't want harassment on the street. If you're offering that and on top of that, you have these like woke sort of narratives and all that, it doesn't really appeal to them. So, it, like I said, if it's not Trump tomorrow, for example, Trump is gone now. If it's somebody who is like not as much of an idiot as him, but he has that message, what is going to happen?
4: But tell me, don't you have a system, uh, you know, will we'll, we'll ensure the smooth transition, I mean, I'm still. I mean, I'm watching CNN every day, just to find you know that particular. I mean, I I also wonder what is going to happen now. So so this guy is not admitting. He's he's not conceding. So so is it there? No, uh, you know structure which can the, no. So the the, so the transition. The final you know the
1: worst case scenario is that he's escorted out by the military guard or whatever the you know he, and he's you know actually physically removed from the White House. But, and someone made this point, on, not so many people have made this point, that basic, and this is not just true, for they, they say this for American presidential system or American democracy, but it's true for any democracy. It is based on the assumption that people of honor, some basic values of decency are acknowledged. So, but if you abandon that, then any system collapses. It doesn't matter what you do. For example, and I think our government is also doing that, When our government wants to go to court and say that actually there's good journalism happening. We don't have to say anything to anyone. Then they quote a news laundry report. Now you can't argue with a shameless person. Right. I mean, if I were to go to date, you know, and meet the minister say, sir, you are quoting our reports, but you are doing anything to defend Arunam then quote his report in court in court. So I think when you are dealing with someone who's completely shameless, All rules are out of the window because basic, any rule depends on people who acknowledge rules and acknowledge honor. If people don't acknowledge it, then there's very little you can do. But to begin with, that was like sort of the appeal of Trump
3: that he didn't play by the rules, like the drain, the swamp and all that. There's people have built these rules to keep you shackled and break them. But I don't think it will come to that. I mean, he's doing this as long as the case is in court. Once all the courts decide, okay, this is done and dusted, I mean, he doesn't have
1: anywhere to go. Let's see. Then this email is from Soumya, uh, who's a 25 year old research consultant working in the water sector. Earlier I used to sporadically listen to Haftar during using my friend's account. However, Abhinandan's pay to keep news free slogan created an impact on me. I decided to become a subscriber as soon as I start earning, which I did last month. Yay! So, with your first salary, you have Koshira beta Jindare. And congratulations on your job. So glad. What a wonderful way to spend some of your first salary. So Soumya basically says that we only call reporters on Hafta. But can there be a separate session where public policies such as the Jal Jeevan Mission, Atal, Bhujal Yojana, New Education Policy are discussed with a panel of public policy expert think tanks. These policies are never discussed critically on TV news channels. I have listened to a few snippets on some policies by the print, but did not find them useful. So, So Soumya says, could you please think about this? Well, Soumya, we could, but the thing is Hafta was not supposed to be a, you know, area expert kind of podcast. The whole charm and the whole thing of Hafta was news professionals, journalists, editors sitting around shooting, you know, their mouths off. It was not an area expert podcast, but that was supposed to be Let's Talk About, which clearly is really lagging behind. I mean, we have two that should be up hopefully in the next month. But that will have to be a separate podcast. I'll be honest, Hafta can't become that. Hafta will be reporters, editors, news specials, just discussing a bunch of stuff. And you've also gone on to say, an observation, NL does not show any ads as it is completely subscriber-based. However, Abhinandan's frequent interventions talk about the subscriber model sound like advertisements. (laughs) Of course they are. So I believe we should advertise our product everywhere we can, but we won't take ads because news should not depend on ads. Right. Others can depend on ads. The media has, I mean, there's a journalistic sort of news professional term for this kind of ad. It's called house ad. House-ed, This So, this email is from Tanushree. I'll keep my email short. I've been reading with alarm about reports on pollution levels in North India skyrocketing during Diwali. I was wondering if the Hafta team would consider discussing briefly what measures are being taken and not by the government other than banning firecrackers. Who is to be held accountable, the central government or the state governments? Is it really the case that citizens do not consider rising pollution to be a major problem? Or is it a lack of seriousness on the part of government officials? I came across a really interesting article on scroll. which details the efforts of this individual took steps to reduce the levels of indoor air pollution. And it was quite an interesting read. Once again, thank you for all the work you do. One of my previous mails had suggested Manisha's brain be scanned after watching Republic. TV to assess the impact of consuming that shit on her brain. But once Abhidandan read that mail out loud, I realized that was quite rude of me to think Manisha as an experimental (laughs) subject. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a neuroscience researcher and I can sometimes forget not everything and everyone should be treated like a science experiment. That's perfectly fine, Tanushri. Thank you so much for your subscription. Thank you for your support. And the article you've linked to is... How I created my own bubble of clean indoor air amid the toxic Delhi smog. And this is by Kaveri Har- Haritas. Well, uh, if I were to blame one, I mean, you don't just blame one person, but I think in a place like Delhi, the central government has to step in. While many would blame the Punjab government, many blame Punjab, some will blame Haryana, some will blame Delhi chief minister. But because there are, I mean, pollution, it's the air which is coming from different states, you can't control it. The general policy around this has to be made by the center. I don't think you can leave it to the states. That's my view. Um, Raman sir, what do you think? Uh, uh, I
4: think so because uh, what is happening right now, the UP state, they came up with their own laws. They have filed 1,000 FIRs against the farmers for burning the stubble. Mm. Okay. So likewise, it's happening in Haryana and Punjab also. So there is a lot of agitation among the farmers. Apparently, I think on 25th, they are going to march uh, you know, to Delhi on this issue. So I think center has to come up with a solid policy on this and uh, the stockholders like farmers and all they have to be taken into confidence and their problems also have to be solved. So so I I totally agree with you. Yeah, clearly because it's a multi-state
3: problem. So the response has to be coordinated. The unfortunate part is, I mean, this is all driven by apathy. The solutions that have been proposed, for example, to stubble burning, I mean, a few hundred crores and it's solved. That's all you need.
0: Mm. Some
3: investment in machines and some persuading of the farmers. You don't need more than that. It's just that
4: they're apathetic. They don't, just don't care.
1: Exactly. It's, it's actually not that complicated a problem to solve. It's just that it's not as important as love jihad.
4: But the problem is huge. And pollution problem is huge.
1: Yeah, yeah. But this parali burning specifically, I agree with you on the general problem. But specific parali burning, which is for this month and a half when it becomes really bad... It is not that difficult to solve it. Absolutely. But it's not a priority area. That's all.
3: Even, for example, like the pollution from thermal power plants. I mean, so many solutions have been proposed and they've just, they just don't. I mean, there are rules in place for that. They just don't follow them. They don't implement them.
1: So uh, before I ask for everybody's recommendations, I want to remind you all again that do pay to keep news free. Please contribute to our legal fund. We have actually the last week when I appealed, we were just at 1 lakh 30. I think now we're at 3 lakh 80. So thank you, many of you are concerned about us. You want us to survive and you want us to prosper and you are putting your money where your mouth is. Or you can buy a subscription for as little as 300 rupees a month. And you can contribute to the legal fund for as little as 1000 rupees. We will need all this to fight on all the battles that are coming and trust me, there are lots coming. So if you just want to sit around and whine about how you know, horrible the media is and how it can't do anything, You've got to ask yourself, what are you doing to fix that? So on that note, can I ask you for your recommendations, please, Raman sir?
4: I just watched one uh, documentary called Trial 4 uh, on Netflix. Uh, this was, uh, you know, some uh, killing of, uh, of a cop, American white cop, Milligan, I think was his name, in 1991. And then the two black 19-year-old, 20-year-old people were arrested. So this is their story he was in the jail for 22 years for a crime that he did not commit so so it's, it's i think 10 episodes but very well made initially i thought it is quite american american so i may not you know like it but when i started just watching that it was really engaging and it was beautiful and the second thing is i i mean today we saw that these two dalit girls were uh, you know killed raped and killed in in, in UP. And we have done a series of stories on the rape culture of UP in Lakhimpur by Nidhi and uh, Akanksha. So I would recommend those stories.
1: Thank you. Oh,
3: uh, Since we were talking about the American elections, so there's this uh, piece by Musa al-Gharbi. It's headlined the Trump vote is rising among blacks and Hispanics despite the conventional wisdom. So it explains this sort of sort of rise in support for Trump among minorities, people who are, mm-hmm. by conventional wisdom, are not supposed to be voting for him. Uh, the other piece is uh, from News Laundry uh, by Rona Ghorana, who does our science desk pieces every once in a while. It's uh, headlined why we shouldn't get too excited about a COVID vaccine. It explains why it's, it isn't a magic bullet. Even if we have a vaccine sometime in the next three, four months, it'll take a while for the pandemic to be controlled by this vaccine.
1: Right. Thanks, Mehraj. My recommendations are two. One is Pratap Banu Mehta's editorial in the Indian Express. It says the lordship, their lordships and masters. The Supreme Court was never perfect, but the signs that are that it is slipping into judicial barbarism. I think it is a brave one to write. Sure. I'm glad he wrote that. And the second thing, I haven't read the book, and I don't think I'll have the time because there are too many books to have to read, But the next best thing that I wrote, read on this was this review of the book Cast, The Origins of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. I was, it piqued my interest because I heard it being discussed on a panel discussion. And I said, let me see what I can read about this. So there's a book review by Hope Wabuk on this book on NPR. Uh, do check it out. It gives you an idea what this book is about. And it. Uh, I hope when i have a little more time i i will read this book but that extract you read right, from
3: it comparing like white people with brahmins in india i thought that was a bit far-fetched but i obviously i have to read the book to understand the context and everything
1: yeah i think it's a also if i i, I think it was a cnn if you can um if you could just get that person uh, who was talking about it basically he was speaking about a like the larger the way it explains the discontent of the privileged, I thought it was very. I thought it was very accurate. I I think that is a reasonable kind of assumption that this is why the politics of the world is going the way it is. Yeah, that's true. I mean,
3: that's I mean the one of the primary drivers behind this love jihad thing and
1: like intercaste yeah. marriage. That's partly it. So uh, do check out the book review if you can't read the book itself. And thank you, Raman sir. I hope you're absolutely fine and your COVID has yes, no yes yes. Left no lasting impression on you.
4: I'm feeling a little weak, but I'm fine.
1: I hope in another two weeks, we can all sit yes. around the table.
4: Yes. yes. The yes. And... Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I to just look forward. Yeah. I mean, you have to step out of the house. I can't sit in the house.
1: Anyway, uh, thanks, Mehraj. Thank you, Aditya, our wonderful producer. And I will leave you with this song and the appeal. Please pay to keep news free. Recommend it to your friends, relatives. Ask them to subscribe to News Laundry. We need all the support we can get because a big battle is coming.